0: Welcome to another exciting episode of Jazztopia, episode number 11. My name is Bobby Spellman. I am your host of the show, coming at you from sunny, scenic East Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Well, we had to take a little time off over the summer to get organized. It's been a zany couple of months, hasn't it, gang? woo But here we are, back in action for a... Another weekly running of Jazztopia. We've got a bunch of great shows lined up for you over the next couple of weeks, and we're gonna keep it going, keep it going on. Uh, my wife and it, uh, Emily and I had to relocate at the end of August from our home in Bushwick, Brooklyn, down the road a little bit, and uh, we got a new studio set up, and we're ready to go. We're excited for whatever this new season brings. Uh, here we are in October. We've been in coronavirus land for many, many months, and fortunately over the summer, thanks to uh, our ability to perform outside, there have been a couple of performances coming up. I've been happy to see people being able to play music in the wilderness, outside in parks and uh, outdoor seating kind of environments where people can keep the music alive and keep it going. So uh, it's been a wild year, hasn't it, gang, when I started this back in uh, January? I did not anticipate the challenges involved in trying to put something together in the middle of uh, what would later become a global pandemic. But here we are, and I hope everybody out there is doing well and staying productive and staying sane and getting some work in and is able to work or is able to uh, enjoy their time outdoors while it's still nice out and uh, is able to check out some new records and listen to music and keep it together because it's been a little wild. Uh, all right, a couple of announcements. People keep putting out albums, which makes me so happy. Uh, recently, we've had a couple of a couple of releases. I figured it'd be appropriate on our 11th episode here to uh, mention uh, Joe Morris has yet another album out. I think that Joe Morris probably will have a new album out every week. So I'm just gonna, maybe I'll keep announcing them. I don't know. It's kind of amazing, honestly. But Joe Morris and Jerome Dupree, uh, their album discussions. Uh, You can find that on Bandcamp. Uh, You can find it online. Check it out. Uh, Very recently, let's see, in August, we've got Javier Nero's Freedom came out on Outside In Records. That is a beautiful album. Next uh, show, we will be talking to Javier about the production of the album and his philosophies on music and albums in the current age and production and all kinds of fun stuff like that. And then... Uh, Very recently, Allegra Levy came out with an album, Lose My Number, on Steeplechase, uh, featuring the music of my teacher, John McNeil, my former teacher from New England Conservatory and noted trumpet genius and eccentric. And Allegra put some really amazing lyrics to those uh, wild tunes. So definitely check that out. Allegra Levy's Lose My Number, featuring the music of John McNeil. That is an amazing record. There's all kinds of good stuff coming out these days, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about all the music happening. All right, one more quick announcement here before we get on to the show. Uh, If you like what we're doing here, and you'd like to support the show, and you'd like to hear some more conversations with uh, musicians in the world of jazz and improvised music on their philosophies and their tales from the path to musical righteousness— we have put together a Patreon page at patreon.com slash jazztopia. It's kind of a little virtual tip bucket here. So if you if you like the conversations and you, uh, you want to just show your support, uh, we'd love it if you head on over to patreon.com slash Uh We'll have that set up uh, 100% pretty soon here. Uh, you throw a little money in the bucket. Uh, it always takes a little time and effort to put these things together and edit them, the research involved, things of that nature. Uh so as we get back into normal world, if you uh if you like the show and you just want to say thanks for putting it together, we'd love your support. All right. So, without further ado, this week our guest is the inimitable and magnificent vocalist Michael Mayo. I met Michael back as a grad student at New England Conservatory and uh I remember we we had a uh, an Afro-Cuban ensemble together. And we did a recording session with the band. And I remember uh, Michael going in to do the vocals. And I was always used to, right, you know, let's do a take. Let's try this. Let's work on some harmonies. Let's do this and that. We'll try to write some stuff out, figure it out. Michael went in and just knocked it out in one take per, per uh, vocal part. And I recorded all the harmonies on the fly in Spanish. I was like, yo, this guy is for real. So uh, I've been fortunate to be able to keep up with Michael since then. Get to catch him playing from time to time here in New York City, and I was really happy to get to talk to him. He we had a lot of had a very interesting discussion on his adventures in the music, on uh, on uh, the voice as an instrument, thinking about the voice as a musical instrument, uh, his use of a looping pedal and other technologies, uh, touring with Herbie Hancock and recording with Kneebody, and uh, his approaches to writing and uh songwriting and also uh productivity during coronavirus. Uh, we also got to talk a little bit about his favorite movies in the Star Wars franchise and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh Michael's got a really interesting approach and uh if you haven't heard his music he's got a new single out. Uh the single is entitled The Way and if you can uh if you look him up he's on Spotify and all the platforms you can also follow him on 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 Instagram at MerkerMurr <laughs> I might have to spell that out, but I think you, he uh, you'll be able to find him, Michael May, on Instagram and uh, Facebook and all the platforms. So if you haven't heard this guy sing, be sure to check the music out. You can also find him on uh, the Kneebody Records that we discussed and uh, in some other places with collaborations with other musicians. But really an amazing vocalist, so be sure to check his music out and uh, you won't be disappointed. 100% guaranteed. All right. Well, without further ado, here he is, Michael Mayo. Okay. Yep, we are in business. Perfect. Yep. Well, Michael, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate My you uh, coming on the program.
1: Uh, absolutely thanks, now thanks we've for been asking.
0: In, me. How long have we been in? We've been in lockdown for a couple of months now. <laughs> I'm losing track, Five-ish. it feels like forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how you've been hold- How have you been holding up? Are you are you one of these people that has been able to be ultra productive in the isolation, or <laughs> are you struggling with motivation? Or- that's
1: funny. Yeah, no, definitely the latter for sure. Um, I the being alone thing is super normal because I'm an only child, so that's fine. Sure. Uh, the being productive thing definitely has been interesting. Just trying to find overall, just trying to find like new ways, new methods of of slotting into productivity because it's. I feel like it's harder to start than it was before sure like once I'm in it I'm fine but starting it is tough
0: yeah you mean you mean individual projects or just on a daily basis
1: on a daily basis just like having a routine of like waking up and like answering emails or whatever it may be you know is that that the routine of that has been like a definite learning curve
0: sure yeah do you do you um do you find yourself Uh, is it helpful for you to have deadlines in particular or are you generally self-motivated? Absolutely. I
1: definitely work very well with deadlines. Um, my brain tends to be very like la la land. So like if I don't give it a very specific deadline, it just wants to play and go all over the place. So deadlines are like my bread and butter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got the same thing, man. That's been one of the things that's been tough for me doing this is like I know that some. I'm writing. I'm sitting down to write charts, and I've got so much time to write new music. Yeah. But not knowing when it's going to be performed, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a little harder to dot the I's and cross the T's and all this absolutely. stuff. You know?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But at least you have the advantage, which not everybody does, uh, as a vocalist, of being able to perform in some capacity from your house. Yeah. You've been able to it's... do a couple of live streams and things like that. Uh, have you? How many of those have you done? I've done.
1: Not, a, not like a lot a lot, but I think I've done maybe one, two, three, four-ish, four to five
0: total. Yeah. But that's pretty um, good, especially as a vocalist, being able to, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, really I'm definitely, I'm, I'm thankful that, I've, that people have been asking me to do them from time to time. And it's been a nice, just the sensation of like getting ready for a thing has been really nice to, to be able to slot into that from time to time.
0: Sure. And I'll tell you, the other thing is you've got, um, you've got not a unique position but a rare mm-hmm. position in that you can you've you've found a way to accompany yourself so i I saw your um the Sam first session right? oh yeah yep on that's up on youtube mm-hmm. and uh that's pretty remarkable you can do the whole thing with a loop pedal and a keyboard and just your <laughs> own voice
1: yeah I mean that one was fun to get ready for because I typically you know, I play piano, but I I play piano as like a compositional and practice tool. I usually don't perform with it. Uh so mm-hmm. that was the first set that I've really done ever. That was like a full set. I mean, I obviously wasn't playing keys for the whole time, but like I played keys for like a substantial chunk of it. Yeah. And so that was cool cuz it's like experiencing something new in the sort of like dreary monotony of this current situation was really fun to have to like slot into that sort of new thing
0: Mm -hmm. and have you been doing a lot of a lot more of that just in terms of working on playing keys and yeah absolutely i
1: mean i've of all the things i've been doing i've been practicing like non-vocal instruments way more lately Mm -hmm. actually uh like keyboard and drums and stuff and so it's been nice to have the time to actually do that
0: sure i think that's going to be one of the that's that's one of the... I'm trying to find the light in the, uh, you know, whatever, yeah. in, in all this. And that's one thing, is just, try, is just <clears throat> relearning, you know, learning new skills. We have the opportunity to try to figure new things out and yeah. adapt to the situation in hand. And hopefully we can take some of that when we come out the other side and try to do something with it.
1: Hopefully. I mean, humans are quick to forget, but I think that this situation is... is uh significant enough that hopefully we'll be able to take at least more than fifty percent of all the things we've learned with us along on the journey after this is done
0: no doubt no doubt uh, so there's a couple things I wanted to cover in relation to some of those performances and the many times I've seen you play before that sure uh, and I'm, I' let's start with let's start with your approach as a vocalist and then we'll do the technology stuff because I think it's, okay. it's all kind of fascinating the approach that you take to this um, it seems to me that you really treat the, your voice as a musical instrument. You really think of it as being a, a musical instrument. And of course, it is. it's voice is a musical instrument. But yeah. there are sort of different approaches to it. But your approach to singing and uh, production of music and everything has, first of all, a very, uh, I would say, like controlled, almost instrumental quality to it. It's clear mm. that you really care about the voice as a mechanism. Mm. And the other thing that, that kind of <clears throat> hit me to that uh, thinking, I don't know if you just... Well, I'll let you... I'll let you respond. Does that seem fair? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Totally. Uh, the other one that, I, that was really fascinating to me was uh, last summer when we were at the, the NEC Jazz Lab. Jazz Lab, it yep. was It was really fascinating to, to be hanging around with, with you and Becca Stevens, who I remember you were doing these uh, vocal exercises that were mm-hmm. like... Re- and I would never thought of just the minutia of the human voice and trying to mm. think about these little things that having had a human voice for my entire life... Sure. Yeah. I've never <laughs> thought of ever. So yeah. I, I'm not going to be able to remember all of them, but I remember one in particular was you were trying to do... You were trying to just create one, uh, whatever it is...
1: Uh, oh, one this like thing? vocal fry thing? Is that uh, what it's called? Vocal fry is that like... the What's that movie? Like The Grudge or whatever? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. That sound and Becca's whole thing was like, "Can you do just one?" And it's actually so hard. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I still, can, I still can't do that. Wait, let me just try like one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nope, that was like three. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. uh, it's so hard. It's so hard.
0: <laughs> but you have, uh, you got some other exercises too. I feel like there were a couple of exercises you guys were doing that are just like trying to just work out the sort of minutia of the voice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that that as a singer that you have to think about a lot because the thing about the human voice is that like the majority of people with a human voice are not professional singers because everyone has a human voice. So the human ear naturally because it already has it latches onto a human voice so much quicker than it does, you know, the drums, the keys, the horn, even the lyrics, like the actual sound of a human voice is what people's ears immediately latch onto, which kind of means what message you're trying to get across. Hmm. Because like the difference between uh and uh, similar notes, exact same shape, same first note, same last note, but that little uh, like has a little slightly different emotional uh, thing to it that, like, doing that on purpose as opposed to doing the other thing can make the difference between, like, people getting what you're
0: saying and people not. Sure. No doubt. Do you, have any, do you have any examples of other little exercises that you do to just think about those specifics while we're on it? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Hmm. I was doing one with a student earlier today, actually,
1: where we took... What was it? Uh... uh it actually might have been... Uh... Uh... uh. Uh, 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 That's what it was. So we took the same riff, moved it up a half step, then moved it down a half step. And then we Mm -hmm. did that whole chunk and moved that whole thing up a half step. So it's like, uh, 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 then uh, 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 And like essentially trying to slot into um, my mom, who's also a singer, she calls them like grooves. Meaning like the same as like a groove on a record, like uh, the shape of the riff that you're trying to sing, you have to figure out the grooves in your voice to be able to land on those notes because otherwise you'll sing it out of tune or you won't sing it with the right exact shape. So like little exercises like that help with that finesse.
0: Sure. Now, that also sounds like it's, it's deeply connected with ear training. Do you Absolutely. think about those two things as being different or are they in your mind sort of the same principle or how much overlap yeah. do you
1: think um, yeah um yeah a huge amount of overlap I wouldn't say that they're exactly the same thing just because one is dealing with the act of actually like like doing the thing versus mm-hmm. one is the act of like hearing the thing but because we're singers and because we don't have buttons and our instrument resides inside of us it's kind of like asking a pilot to fly without any visual instruments or asking a surgeon to do medicine in the dark like you <laughs> you're flying blind So like you need to come up with clever ways of understanding how to relate a feeling to a sound and vice versa. Um, And so a lot of the work that I do with people, because especially since I mean before quarantine also, but especially since quarantine, I've just gotten very passionate about helping people with ear training and connecting to their ears. Mm. Um, A lot of that practice is about like learning how to not feel like you're floating through outer space because you can't just like go to the instrument and press the thing and the thing's going to come out. Like you have to hear it in order for the thing to come out.
0: Sure. For sure. What what do you do? How do you kind of get people used to that? Or what what are maybe, uh, what's an exercise that you might use to get people to really think about it in those terms?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I do one where, uh, so it's like a little game where like you have to, you have to sing a note three times. Like exactly. I say exactly in quotes because all tuning is relative, but you have to sing the note, uh, Exactly in tune three times in a row before you're allowed to move on to the next note. So, say for example, the note is, uh, so that what you'd play on the piano, and then the person would go, uh, 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 and then they can move on. But if they were to go, uh, 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 nope, you have to go back. So, if you scoop up into it or scoop down into it, you have to start it over. So, that's one that helps with tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I have people do is, uh, uh, Soloing in their mind without actually singing out loud um, so turning on a recording and uh, soloing just taking a solo to some instrumental recording um, because what that helps to do is to solidify that ear voice connection and the same sort of, and this is something that all people that speak with their voice have in common it's something that you you sort of apply differently when you're singing but like the way that you know that someone asks a question is because they inflect their voice up at the end right mm-hmm. and a person isn't planning out exactly the fact that they're going to do that, but they have an inst- instinctive knowledge and connection between their ear and their voice to know that in order to get this thing across, I have to do this at the end, right? So it's the same idea when you're singing. You're just applying it to specific musical ideas and
0: situations. Sure. So you're talking about just learning learning other solos or something like that. Like you have the solo in your head, and you, and then you're going to try to sing it, or is it a I'm, talk- of I'm talking own- about.
1: I'm talking about improvising
0: okay. in, you're, in you're your head, but not actually yeah, singing sure. out loud.
1: Like, I mean, obviously, like improvising and singing out loud is its own thing and its own practice, but like, mm. specifically improvising in your head and not actually singing out loud will help solidify that. Why am I doing like a telephone thing without, like, <laughs> that, that voice you ear you're thing? You're calling
0: your brain direct. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting, man. Now, uh, we're both, both your parents are musicians, right? Yeah. And you grew yep. up in a musical environment.
1: Very, yeah. So my dad, uh, my dad is a multi-instrumentalist, uh, primarily a saxophonist, but he plays all the all the woodwinds, um, and he is currently Sergio Mendez's MD. He played with Earth, Wind, and Fire for a long time. He's been doing the studio, LA studio musician thing for a long time. My mom is a singer, uh, currently singing backgrounds with Diana Ross, has been in her band for like 10, ba- 10 years or more. Same with Luther Vandross, Whitney Houston, same thing, session singer, touring singer, did the whole nine yards. Mm. So, like, growing up with them, it was, like, very clear that a career in music was, like, very possible.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... I, I'm sure it was a big help to have that uh, growing up. You must have been around it all the time. Extremely. I mean, Extremely. No way, I mean it's...
1: It's the same thing of like a person with doctors as a parent is going to see a doctor becoming a doctor as like a
0: very doable thing, you know? Sure, yeah, no doubt. But the the difference in my mind would be that it's not like when you're five years old, your dad's not going to be like, hey, come over here. We're going to help me out with this heart surgery. Do this quick surgery
1: with me, real quick, you six year old? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It'd be cool. You hold the scalpel. When I tell you, pick up that thing, music (laughs) is one of those things that I I honestly wish that it was a little bit more of a, a part of everyone's upbringing in yeah. that regard my dad's Absolutely. a drummer mm-hmm. uh, an amateur drummer but he from the beginning like he had me before I remember anything had me playing conga drums and stuff like that's that that's amazing set yeah. the stage like you know you see it's it's always a, feels like it should be like a, a substantial cultural thing you know And I agree fortunately you know it's a big uh, it's a blessing to have it when you can grow up in that kind of an environment truly so you went from Los Angeles to New England Conservatory, where mm-hmm. we met in the first place. You were yep. an undergrad when I was there for grad school. Indeed. Um, and who did you study with there? Dominique E. At NEC,
1: yep. I studied with Dominique Ede. uh I studied with Jerry Braganzi, John Lockwood, Miguel Zanon, um, uh, Donnie McCaslin. Uh, I feel like there's one more in there. Yeah, those were mm. those were those are the main ones and I'm mean, if I'm forgetting someone I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. But also NEC is kind of an open environment where you study with a lot of people and even yeah. the like I remember even the people that I took ensembles with I still got I mean it's not it's not as I think a hard line between the who you're studying with specifically in the ensembles and the Absolutely. whole environment.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. It's very like it's very crossover vibe and very much like I don't know like young disciple and, like, wizened, experienced person.
0: Sure. What, what's, what brought you to NEC as opposed to wherever?
1: Yeah. So um, before my senior year of high school – no, no, I'm wrong. Before my junior year of high school, I had actually never heard of NEC before. And I had a friend – I went to an art school in L.A. And I had a friend who was a year older than me who was also going to school for, for – was planning to go to college for, like, jazz voice – And so I had the benefit of, like, having her go through the whole audition process and, like, pre-screening and all that stuff and, like, coming back and telling me all about it. Um, And so she would go on these auditions and tell me. And then she told me about her NEC audition and how it was, like, amazing. And she told me all this stuff about um, Dominique Ede, who I also had never heard of. And then I went on uh, MySpace, RIP, like, remember when? I went on MySpace because NEC's jazz department had a music thing, and Dominique had her own music MySpace, and like the jazz voice thing had its own music MySpace, so I just literally stalked all these people and stalked everyone so hard, and I was like, yeah, I want to go here. And then finally, when I went to Boston uh, for my live audition, I had stepped into Jordan Hall,
0: and I was like, yeah, it's, it's over. Like, I, I have to go here. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's, kind of, it's an amazing room. It'll do yeah. that to you. It's insane. Well, I applaud you uh, uh, surviving the winters. It's a different.
1: Oh my God! It's a different environment for this for area. this Southern California boy. Like <laughs> those winters were. I mean, granted, like my family, my dad's from the East Coast and my mom's from the Midwest. So like I had experienced cold before, but never for more than like a week.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a commitment. I grew up. Yeah. Around, I grew up north of there, so I knew the deal. I, I was Oof. familiar with that kind of. But it's a good place to study because you're going to be indoors for six yeah. months out of the year anyway. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from there, you went to the. Flonies Monk Institute. Yep. I went
1: to the then Flonies Monk Institute, now the Herbie Hancock Institute. Okay. And uh, I actually wasn't planning on going to grad school at first. Mm-hmm. Like my plan. Good.
0: Well, what's the nature of that program? Is it a, gra- sure. is it a graduate school? It's a graduate program. It's a very program, small yeah. program, right?
1: Super small. So the, the deal is you get a master's degree at the end of it, and you also get a certificate from the institute. And the institute is housed at uh, UCLA. Um, So you get your master's from UCLA and a certificate from the Institute. And so the way the program works is it's one band for two years. And essentially the idea is you play together, you study together and you live together. Um, It's not like one giant commune where everyone is living in the same place. Like there's, there were four different apartments with two people each. Um, But the idea is you're, you're spending like basically every waking moment with these people and like really deepening your musical bonds uh, and then every so often you have an artist in residence who comes for a week and they work with you. Um, and like, you know, we had people like Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter and Gretchen Parlato, Luciana Sousa, Um the list goes on and on. Uh, and it's, it, yeah, it was, it was incredible.
0: Sure. So let me ask you this, and I think it's going to be hard to distill this. It sound, that sounds amazing. That sounds fascinating. It truly and was. <laughs> in many respects, that sounds like the way that you're supposed to learn music. Like, we do this mm. in a sort of an academic way. But True. really, the way that Herbie Hancock learned how to play is doing a million nights a year with Miles Davis or yeah. playing with whoever. And all these people spent a lot of time together playing. That seems to me, it's, a, it's not feasible under most circumstances. Sure. But that sounds like an amazing way to do that, because you're actually getting that, like, that's the best way to learn, is to get to Absolutely. and Absolutely,
1: and, and I mean, the, the best, I mean, not the best, but, like, the, I guess I should say maybe, like, the most helpful aspect of the program is that everything is free, and they give you a monthly stipend. So, like, they really don't want you to have to worry about, like, the struggle of, like, gigs or, like, making money for yourself to live. They really want you to focus on the music and to follow the
0: music and to follow, uh, you know, your own instincts. Sure. Man, that's amazing. Now, this is going to be a little difficult, but is there, are there any lessons you can think of, particularly poignant lessons that came down from these people who are masters of the art that, mm. you know, you walked away from and said, all right, my, everything's, like, I'm thinking about this differently now. Things are different.
1: <laughs> sure. Um. Yeah, let me think for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so n- most notably, the ones that first come to mind. Um, so Hal Crook came to work with us pretty early on in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I had met Hal, I think, once when I was at NEC. Like, I went to Berkeley, and, like, um, I think he, like, had me come in and sing on a song or something. But um, we had never really worked together. And so he came to, any or he came to, the the institute,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, he we were talking about comping, and like I was like, okay, cool, like I can like sort of check out because I'm a singer, like singer-song comp, um, and he called me on it. He's like, Michael, like, you should comp now behind Daniel. Daniel Rotem is this incredible tenor sax player, and he was in the group. Uh, he's like, so Daniel's gonna solo, and Michael, I want you to comp. And it was the first time anyone had ever asked me to comp before, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I just sing pretty melodies when it's my turn, <laughs> and, and so I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's, let's go. Um, and I think for me as a singer, it was so interesting because I'm so used to, and it's not that I specifically look for this or want this, but when you're singing, it's usually like about you, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like you're singing the melody or you're taking a solo or whatever, unless you're singing, like, non-lyric things as one of the the horn parts. If you're singing, it's usually about what you're doing at that moment. Sure. And so this was the first time that someone was, like, sing, but you're going to be a background thing. Hmm. Um, And so I really had to think differently because at first my instinct, because you're still improvising, but my instinct in improvisation mode, it's like, okay, now solo. And so it was a really interesting mental shift. So that process really opened me up to a lot of new things. Um, mm. and then, uh, another one that comes to mind, this is, I guess isn't like specific as much as just in general, like when Herbie would come in, he would always talk about technology and like society and how, uh, we can intertwine the practice of our music in those arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of really just got me thinking about a lot of this stuff uh, and just like watching and listening to all of the music that he's made over the years. He's always like consistently been on the cutting edge of new trends in music and new trends of technology and music. Yeah. So just super inspiring stuff.
0: Hmm. And I think about going back to listen to uh, Headhunters. And oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I listened to it all the time. But after a point, you list, you, you know... I feel like uh, Chameleon has become such a cliche that you go, okay, cool, I I graduated from Headhunters or whatever. I went back and listened to it a couple years ago, and just the layers of textures that he's getting out of all those keyboards and the the vibe of the whole record that comes from him. I mean, the fact that he's doing that in 1970 or whatever it was, like, is super deep. I mean, he was way on top of that stuff. Yeah. And without sacrificing any of the musicality that he's dealing with in the Miles Davis Quintet or any of this stuff. I mean, it's a really impressive endeavor, you know.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like, it, it just goes to show that it makes sense that he's found the success that he has. Because it's like everything he's ever done is the proof is in the pudding, basically. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty impressive to maintain that for, um, for so many decades and yeah. still be the dude. Yeah, the now, dude. Did you do a tour with him mm-hmm. afterwards? Mm-hmm. How was that? I did. Uh, oh, it was terrible. No, it was a literal
1: <laughs> dream come true. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was it was insane. Uh, so we did a tour of South America. This was fall of 2018. 20, yeah, 2018. And uh, so we did Colombia, Chile, Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was the and band?
1: It was uh, Herbie, myself, Gre- Gregoire Murray on harmonica. Insane harmonica player. Wow james genus on bass and justin brown on drums um and i the i was like just stunned stunned like firstly that i was even there when i got the email i was like this is spam like this (laughs) this like is spam like this is what spam is you know yeah um and finally i was like actually no this is real And once I realized it was happening, I was like, okay, so I need to practice. I need to learn every song he's ever made. And then I would like went to the catalog. I'm like, that's impossible. Sure. Um, So I'm just going to wait until we find out what the music is and then I'm going to start shedding. We didn't find out what the music was until like a couple days before the first rehearsal. Um, And uh, it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. So like Hmm. Herbie's working process, or I should say Herbie's rehearsal process Was very organic. He was like, "I don't really know what I want to play. Here are some sketches. Is there anything of mine that you guys want to play?" And I was just like, "I uh, (laughs) I don't know, butterfly. I don't know everything." Um, And uh, we ended up doing a bunch of different stuff, and it it changed from night to night. Um, But I realized it took me like two good gigs. It took me two gigs to start feeling comfortable, like I could actually like, you know, sit into the experience. Sure. Because for those first two gigs I was so worried about letting Herbie down I was so worried about doing the wrong thing Or like doing something that was like Adventurous in the wrong way Or like the word wrong was very strong In my internal narrative for that Mm -hmm. And then finally I realized I think I asked Herbie I was like so at this one part Of this particular song do you want me to Whatever do you want me to do this particular thing He's like I don't know man just do you And I was like oh shit sorry, can I curse? Yeah. You, I was and, like, oh shit. He just wants me to do me. Cause if he didn't, like he would have called someone else. Sure. So like, then I was like, okay, cool. I can just like chill and do not chill obviously, but I can like, you know, relax into the experience and just do what comes naturally.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. He can, he can set that up in such a way that you feel that way. Cause yeah. I can imagine, I mean, two, two gigs, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if I was peeing my pants for the whole amount of time I was down there. I mean, that's a, you know, it's a I mean, I, I definitely,
1: I definitely was, but it was like the the P became a bit more secure as time went on. There you go. Yeah, and
0: that's a funny thing too. I think I wonder if it's specifically in improvising, but it's certainly in music in general that, on the one hand, you have to be a little nervous, and I think mm-hmm. it's really important to be doing things that make you a little nervous because sure. it means that you're gonna that you're gonna push yourself and that you're gonna do better. You know, you don't want to come in and say whatever. Herbie yeah. Hancock, you know, I'll, I'll wing it. It'll be fine, you know. Right. But then on the other hand, if you're really trying to access that that which makes you an individual as a musician or mm-hmm. try to convey your own perspective or whatever, you have to be relaxed to some degree. You have yeah. to be like, without you can't be thinking about whether you're going to screw it up.
1: Right. I sometimes like to think of these things in terms of like, uh, body position, body orientation, like forward leaning versus backward leaning versus like standing in the middle. Interesting. And like, I tend to want to have a bit of buoyancy because my, like if left to my own devices, like in the absence of gigs or obligations or anything, uh, is to be very, just to like sit down and chill. Like if there's a lazy boy, I will, I will be it. And, uh, so I've had to learn how to sort of, Become a bit more forward leaning. I associate forward leaning with proactivity, with forward motion, um, but also with like anxiety, nervousness, um, frantic thoughts. And I associate mm-hmm. backward leaning with relaxedness, um, inner peace, but also like a fear of movement. Um, you know, if left to its own devices and sometimes an unwillingness to change whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. So I tend to like to exist in this sort of more buoyant middle zone. And I feel like in improvisation and exactly what you're talking about. It's all about finding that balance between like, okay, be proactive, but also be open to reacting to whatever is, whatever else someone else might throw at you.
0: Sure. Now, do you think about that as actually standing or like be like your, your presence on earth, like in the, in space, or, I mean, that's an interesting... I've never heard anybody, I think, talk about... I've never mm. even really thought about that. I've thought about body positions in some regard, sure. but maybe... Could you elaborate that on that sure, a little bit? Sure, yeah.
1: I think of it more... Like, I don't literally think of it as, like... As I'm standing, I'm literally leaning back. But I do... I think of it more in terms of, like... Uh, the, the feeling of it. Um, I mean, I will say, like... Specifically talking about the actual physicality of it, like... I tend to feel a bit more comfortable if I'm like leaning back than if I'm leaning forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would, I'm not like a biologist or anthropologist or anything like that. I would wager to say that there probably is some connection between that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I guess I'm speaking more in terms of like, like, you know, some people feel uncomfortable unless they have a million things on their plate. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how to relax. Yeah. I've never been that
0: person. That See, I'm a what. little, I, that's a little closer to me, honestly. Okay, that's what yeah. I've been struggling with in these, uh, you know, quarantine times, trying to figure that out. But Sure, yeah. I mean, like, I have a, a really
1: good friend of mine who is the same way, and, like, when we talk, because we're kind of polar opposites in that way, I'm like, she she always asks me, she's like, how do you how do you relax? Like, how can you chill? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, how can you do 10,000 things and still keep going? Like, so it's, I feel like it's a matter of, like, Learning maybe what your uh, like tendencies are and trying to shade in the rest, if sure. you can.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. It's a journey. Interesting. I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna be thinking about that going forward. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I'm glad to hear that um, that Herbie's that is hands on or is it like, at, let's say, flexible or artistic or like, let's everybody because it would be easy for a, somebody in his status to say, all right, MD you rehearse the band. I'm right. going to show up on the gig, right. play the gig and get out. You know what I mean? But right. And it's really was, cool that he was
1: at every single sound check and he like spent so much time like making sure that the, the keyboard sounded right, that all the sound systems were, and he has like an amazing team of people and you know, fr- people I consider friends now that were, that were there at every gig, uh, like traveling with the band. Um, and yeah, very, very hands-on, very like, very present. He's extremely present.
0: Mm. And now, is there any documentation of that? I'd love to hear you and harmonica and uh, yeah, Herbie and a. There's some setting. there's some
1: videos on YouTube of it. Um, and I wanted I, last time I checked there was like at least ten different YouTube videos. Um, there's a couple that have the whole set. Um, a couple that just have like songs here and there. But I think if you go on YouTube, you can get pretty much all of all the gigs. If you piece everything together.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, there you go. Uh, now, speaking of maybe, uh, speaking of technology and mm-hmm. his approach to technology, you've got, every time I've seen you, you are operating with, the last couple of times I've seen you play with your group, it'll be a uh, quartet, you, yeah. bass, keyboard, drums, yep. and then you always have a loop pedal with you yep or a loop is it a loop loop station of some what, what do you call it what do you, what yeah, is that thing you've i call
1: got? it I call it a looper effects module just it has it has a lot of stuff one of one of said stuff being a looper
0: sure. how long have you been doing working with that
1: this particular machine or looping in general in general yeah, so I started looping my senior year of of col of undergrad at nEC so now that would be like seven, oh my God, seven years, what is time? I, um,
0: <laughs> I try not to think about that, man.
1: Oof, yeah. Um, so yeah, so seven years. And it started totally randomly. A friend of mine, a guitar player friend of mine, was getting rid of his looper pedal and was like, do you want to just like try it? I'm like, I don't know, I guess, whatever. And then it totally opened up a whole new world.
0: Sure. And now you're building all these compositions and arrangements and various things on you mm-hmm. being able to loop yourself. Yeah. Uh, for the people listening, um, my recommendation is to go check out what you're doing because it's <laughs> fascinating. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> deep stuff. When I was watching this um, the your, the, uh, the live stream from uh, what is it, uh, Sam Sam first Sam first? Oh yeah, and you did um, uh, nobody else but me. Yep. and you go through two choruses singing the bass line, mm-hmm. and then come in to sing the melody. And over the top of what you've already sung, yeah. and then you're able to comp on the keyboard whilst improvising mm-hmm. over your own bass line over the whole thing I mean it 's yeah. a really cool <laughs> approach, and Thanks. I'm sure that there are a lot of considerations I mean to be able to do uh, little layers and things like that, people figure it out, but yeah. you're dealing with some kind of high risk high reward <laughs> you know stuff going on sure. with, this, with the looper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh how do you is there I mean it must have just been practice over time to try to get this stuff together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the funny thing is that every loop is so different. That actually was the first not the first time I'd ever done a standard with a walking bass line, but the first time I'd ever done a standard with a walking bass line and also comping on piano. Mm-hmm. And that I that literally was a spur of the moment decision. As oh, really? I was fin- yeah, as I was finishing the bass line and I've crossed my fingers that I was in tune because I'm not always in tune. I, my, my ear, if I'm looping, because it doesn't matter because it's all relative. But if I'm a cappella, I tend to be a little flat. I tend to exist at like A equals 432 region. Uh, and so I was hoping beyond hope that I was in tune with the keyboard. And thankfully I was like mostly in tune with the keyboard. Um, but yeah, I literally, as I was finishing that, that baseline chorus, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so every, every loop is different. And I think that like the practice that goes into it, um, it kind of depends on what the music is asking for. I like to experiment with a lot of different things, you know, like obviously like the main ones being like melody, rhythm and harmony, but, um, timbre even I was talking actually with a friend yesterday about this idea of layering your voice, but laying your voice, layering your voice where it doesn't only sound like you. So I tend <clears> to... If I'm doing, like, a triple, meaning, like, I record myself and then two more layers of that same part, um, I'll tend to do, like, a regular Michael voice, uh, a darker Michael voice, and a brighter Michael voice. So when the three of them come together, it kind of sounds like three variations or three hmm. separate people. Sure. Um, and, yeah, it, it kind of is the gift that keeps on giving, because whenever you try a new thing, there's so many different applications of that in other loops that you do.
0: Sure. Is this an appropriate time? Do you have the thing set up? I do. Do you want to do a little demonstrate? Maybe that specifically. Sure. I'd be curious to know or to hear your uh, the discrepancies between the three Michaels.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, so this is a loop that I do from time to time. It doesn't have a name. Uh, so far, it's called two-parter because there's a first part. And what I'm about to do now is the second part. Okay. Um, so I'll lay down the main part of the loop. Oh, I just realized... This has been looping the whole time. Oops, luckily it was silence. Um, So I am just gonna uh, lay down the main part of this loop. So, do. Oh, I have to. Sorry, give me two seconds. I forgot about one little sound thingy. Unmute. Okay. Hey, hey. All right. Two, three. (laughs) All right, so here comes the part, I'm going to loop the same part three times, and you'll hear uh, the difference in sound. discrepancies and then when the whole thing comes together it sort of plays to this like different textural landscape that's going on
0: sure and even though it's you a number of times it's not Mm -hmm. uh you can hear the specifics of the different parts and everything like that
1: yeah totally and i think that's that's something that i think is really fun to mess around with as a singer uh because i think so often uh, we get pigeonholed and we then pigeonhole ourselves into like having a sound or having like a particular thing that we do when really it's like, you know, we have such unlimited tools. We have such an unlimited landscape at our disposal. And I think it's quite a shame if you, in the face of that, you choose to only do one thing or like even like two or three things. Um, like there's there's always so much more to be explored and in anything not just singing in any in anything that you can do there's always going to be something beyond what you what you understand now so like i just like to explore a lot of things and in, in different realms like that
0: sure now do you think about your let's say <laughs> it's funny as an instrumentalist we talk about your your individual voice but it actually is your individual voice but mm-hmm. do you th- do you worry about like you have so many different things going on that you're going to lose track of your own sound? Or is is it just, it just is what it is. I already sound like myself. So why Uh worry about it?
1: Yeah. I mean, for a long time I did worry about it. I mean, like in college, in grad school, after grad school, like I worried about like, what is my sound? Like, what is my aesthetic? What is my whatever? Uh, but in recent years I've kind of realized like everything is a matter of perspective and the things that resonate with me now are very different than the things that resonated me, with me when I was 17. So it stands to reason that they're going to be very different than the things that resonate with me when I'm like 34 or 44. You know what I mean? So like, sure. I kind of like this moment, this, this idea of existing in the now of resonance, like whatever is resonating with me now is what I'm going to do now. And just like listening to that, uh, that guide. Cause it's, it's, it's always going to be there, but it's just going to change form.
0: Sure. It's. I think that's a, that's a that's a good mentality. I think people get bogged down by thinking, and I, I'm sure I have. I know I have as well. But get mm-hmm. bogged by saying like, all right, this is going to be the style that I play in, or I'm going to put myself in this category or that category. Right. But right. It, you you open yourself up to the en- endless possibilities if you're just comfortable with change or with absorbing anything or with being whatever it is.
1: Yeah, and it's also like in a certain way, like if you. This is kind of dark, but if you were, like, stranded on an island with no other humans for, like, a year, and then suddenly you were thrust back into society a year later, you wouldn't forget how to speak English. Sure. Like, English is still going to be there. Yeah. Like, it might feel weird. It might feel a little cobwebby, but, like, it's still going to be there. So it's, like, the stuff that we learn is still there in some capacity.
0: Sure. Yeah, still a part of you. Hmm. So now when you're doing these, when you're doing... So you've got a a number of different arrangements and pieces that you'll do with the loop pedal. Mm -hmm. Uh, In particular, let's see, what do I remember? Your Giant Steps arrangement is spectacular. Thank you. Uh, um, Alone Together, a lot of these, and then a a number of originals. Mm -hmm. Do you you just experiment with this improvising as you come up with these things? Do you layer the improvisationally, or do you... Because there's a lot of stuff where you're starting sort of essentially in the middle, or you'll start someplace that is unexpected. Then all of a sudden when sure. you, when the bass part comes in or whenever the, whatever comes in, yeah. all of a sudden it all makes sense. Do you write it out or how do you come up with this stuff?
1: Yeah. So I don't write it out typically, not for any reason other than like laziness. <laughs> um, but I usually what I do when I, when I'm starting a new loop is just like improvise and turn on my phone to record and luck upon something that I like. Take note of, I usually, once I find something that I like, I break it down to what the parts are, and I'll record a separate voice memo of, like, here's the bass part, here's the melody, here's the, the pads, so here's the rhythm thing. Um, I use that voice. Here's the bass part. Here's the-. <laughs> uh, Got it. Yeah. But, yeah, so I usually do it like that. Um, and, yeah, it also depends. I mean, with the Giant Steps thing specifically, I literally just wanted to shed soloing over Giant Steps. And I didn't have a keyboard yet. This was right when I moved to New York. All I had was a melodica, and I got so annoyed of like playing chords in the melodica yeah. that I was like, I just need a looper thing because that way I can take it at my own tempo. And then it just turned into a thing that I ended up like playing live.
0: Interesting, and that's the way you're approaching all all this stuff, at least. With yeah, the, with kind the, of. Yeah, uh, it's kind of an improvisational experience. Yeah, that's amazing. How do you think about um, composite, like writing songs? as opposed mm-hmm. to the layered looping thing. Are you, uh, are you, because I know recently you've been writing poetry, right? Or is that a, it been a common thing for you? And I've been writing poetry since, since college.
1: I've just been like posting it a bit more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the writing process for me is kind of random. Like uh, in college and grad school, I kind of exclusively wrote at the piano Um, In recent years, I've mostly been like creating a beat on logic and then like improvising over that, finding a melody that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I sometimes write away from any instrument just to like free myself of, you know, like your hands go to the same spots that they're used to going to. So like I try to free myself from that from time to time by just like singing a thing and coming up with something that way. Sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, what's funny is with poetry, it actually feels entirely different. Like I feel like I'm able to sort of, close my eyes and just, like, listen to the words and just sort of allow the words to speak. But with music, and I think it's funny because you would think that having gone to school for music, you would be able to find that same sort of freedom, but I actually think it's the opposite. Like, having gone to school for music, it's easier to get into, like, judgment mind or critic Mm -hmm. mind. Uh, So I have a harder time just, like, letting go in that sort of way. So I have to find ways to let go in other ways. Interesting. What, What do you mean? Like, like when I'm writing words to a song, uh, it's not just I like like when I'm writing poetry where I close my eyes and allow the words to come. As much as it is like, I'll improvise something and it's like, what syllables go with this? If this? I'm saying like, if it's before I've come up with what I want the song to be about, like if I just have a melody, I'll be like, okay, here's the part of the melody. What syllables am I singing? Okay, what are some words that stick out to me that share the that syllabic shape? Okay, mm-hmm. does this word pairing makes sense if no find a different one if so cool that's what the song's going to be about and let's go from there um other times other times i'll uh just sing with dummy lyrics i'll have a melody and i'll just like sing random words and eventually something will just magically come like i have this song called bones uh that i wrote late last year and the first lyric is don't sweat the cold rock and it just like i started singing and i'm like don't sweat the cold rock. And I'm like, whoa. I don't know what it means, but I really like it. And now I need to create a storyline that allows that line to make sense. And so sure. that was sort of like it sprouted out from that.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's almost t- it's, it's it's all happening at once in that regard. I'm sure there's instances in which you're writing music to some to words you've written. But as, as you're writing music, it's like you're making up the story as you go along a little bit with some of that stuff.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was talking to Becca Stevens about this recently because she's just like, A wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff like with songwriting Um, and something that she says that I really like is make take yourself out of it don't allow the song to be about you or about what people think of you and ask the players in the song be it like a character or a scenario ask questions of the character so for if it's a person who's uh, like just lost their love you'd be like how are you feeling right now instead of like how would i feel in this situation and what would people think about me expressing that thing to them on a stage because that as a singer that's like something that i mean not only as a singer but like as a person who like performs on stage that's a thing that goes through your head it's like well what will people think of me if
0: i do this thing in this way you know (laughs) yeah for sure it sounds like you're totally taking the ego out of it it's just taking yourself out of the mix absolutely which like definitely easier
1: said than done Sure. But, like, <laughs> at, least, at least, like, aiming the sort of the fishing pole in that direction is, like, good.
0: Yeah. I, there's, I, I'm going to be thinking about this, man. There's a lot here in ter- just in terms of, like, the idea that you don't want to become, uh, I don't know, limited by, your, by yourself in some mm, respects. Like, you have yeah. to be open to whatever happens. And it may be outside of your – even what you think of yourself or what you want other people to think of you or how you think the music is supposed to go – I mean that speaks to the stylistic point like you don't want to be you don't want to be anchored to one specific style and limit yeah. yourself from being able to do whatever you want and at the same time you don't want to be limited like if we could only tell write songs or tell stories about ourselves you're limited to your own perspective but there's something yeah. about that that's like transcending yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sometimes think about it. And this is a good reminder too cuz I feel like I've lately been sort of out of the practice of thinking about this, so I'm glad we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. I uh I sometimes like to think about it as, like, music and art as, like, a a stream that's, like, always flowing, and sometimes you just, like, happen to be in it, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're walking beside it. Sometimes you're standing still and watching it flow, but, like, the moments where, like, the ideas come, I, I I like to believe that they don't belong to me. Because sometimes when I feel, the like, it feels very pressury to think that they do, because then I feel like I have to do them justice, and then I have to, like, honor them, and then it becomes this whole, like, moral thing. Uh, so sometimes, just like you're saying, just taking the ego out of it and just allowing it to belong to something, like, greater or other feels like re- a release.
0: Sure. That reminds me of what Stravinsky said about writing the Rite of Spring, where he said, "He, he what did he say? I was the vessel through which the, the spring came mm. rather than being like, it would be easy to say like, well, look at this. I'm a genius gang. Right. Look at this right. thing I invented. You know what I mean? But it takes a kind of a, maybe a, a humility certainly, but also maybe a higher awareness to say like, no, no, I would just, I happened to be there right. when the muse struck, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, uh, I don't know. You know how like, 10 people can look at the same group of stimuli and derive 10 different conclusions. I Mm. sometimes like to think about it like a like if, if someone, if you were to ask 10 group of 10 people to think of a three note melody, like you might get 10 different melodies, but like some of them would resemble each other. And like the ways that they realized each other music or the ways that those melodies became realized in development musically would be different but like the thing that sparks the note, I feel like that initial spark of an idea comes from something placeless, and like everyone has access to it. People with all the training, people with none of the training, people with no experience, so much experience. I feel like it's we all share that. Sure.
0: Uh, let's see here. Now you seem to be the kind of person that would uh, wait for the inspiration to strike. Do you have a do you have like a methodology? Do you have like a do you have like a workflow, or do you just say I'm going to wait for something to happen and I'm going to
1: in terms of go like, like writing?
0: Yeah, writing coming up with new stuff.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> um, I find it very challenging to say specifically like I'm going to sit down and write uh, because every time I do, nothing happens. It just feels very forced and and. Um, I kind of, lately I've been trying to just like show up for the act, for the opportunity of like allowing an idea to come. Like I'll sit down and I won't say I'm going to write, but I'll say like, I'm allowed to write if I want to right now. Like it is okay for me to write if I so desire. Um, and sometimes ideas can come that way. Uh, and sometimes it's like, it's not even about what you're doing as much as it is about like how you're framing what you're doing. Cause just that little mental shift, like someone from the outside who's not if you 're speaking to yourself in your head, someone from the outside would look at what you're doing and it looks exactly the same. a person who sits down to write and a person who sits down and says i'm allowing myself to write from the outside looks exactly the same, but from a from an like an inner pressure place, it feels very different um hmm. so I tend to be one I tend to be a person that like reacts to whenever the inspiration comes but sure. i want I, I want to get a bit more structured with it you know the journey is 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 long.
0: No doubt. Yeah. I'm always interested in that because everybody, I mean, one of the things that I've learned from talking to, you know, talking to people about their process is that everybody's got such a unique approach. Everybody uh, operates in different ways. Some people have an easier time with a super structured, I work from 10 to one and that's my life or whatever. And that's when I'm writing and other people that comes to them and some combination of the two of them. Yeah. But it's always interesting, you know, totally. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was on my way to a gig in New Jersey and I was listening to um a bunch of knee body tracks and mm-hmm. there was a track came on with a vocalist. I was like, this guy's killing. What, <laughs> what is this? I looked it up, I was like, Michael Mayo, I just saw him, hey, you know, hey, at hey. the NEC thing. Uh what was that what was that? So it was the there's two tracks that you have on there. One is by fire. That was the first yep. one I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, What's My Name? Yeah. What was the process like? Those are great tracks. I mean, that's an amazing band. Thank you. And, and yeah, you, you I slid mean, right in there. Like a just dream. what I was talking about before with the instrumentation, your your sort of instrumental approach or whatever to the voice. Like, really, mm. you could have been another saxophone player in the thing or whatever. Um, but what was the process involved in in the collaboration?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, Ben Wendell is a friend of mine now, um, and I met him after I had moved to New York. I kind of I was very. Uh, uh, Precocious. I almost said pretentious. Precocious. Sure. Uh, when, I, when I first moved, I made a list of all the musicians that I wanted to play with. Uh, and I would, like, go to their shows and say hi after. Or just, like, send them a cold message with, like, a thing of, like, here's a little bit of what I do. Um, which, like, now I'm like, would I still do that? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I did then. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Anyway, so I did that with Ben. And uh, we got together to jam a couple times. And then we started being friends. And we just started hanging and playing from time to time. And then he asked me if I wanted to do a cover with knee Cause they were doing this cover project. And I was like, yeah, like I'm pretty sure I definitely want to do that. Uh, Cause I had been a, I've been a kneebody fan for a super long time. Um, and so we were just coming up with what songs we wanted to do. And we went to lunch one day and I was like, what about this song? What about that song? Blah, blah, blah. Finally I was like, what about by fire by Hiatus coyote? And we listened to it. He's like, yeah, this is absolutely the vibe. So we actually recorded both of those songs on the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, What's My Name is actually a song of mine that I wrote. That's what
0: I thought. Yeah, I was listening to it. I was like, I remember this. I forget where you played it. Yeah, I I might have.
1: Yeah, I played it at a house show that I feel like maybe you went to a long time ago. Could have been. But so I wrote that song. uh, Some friends of mine and I were doing this like song a day for a month thing. And that was one of the songs that I wrote. And the funny thing about that is as I was writing it, I literally, and this was years before this recording happened, but I literally was like, I kind of feel like this is a knee body vibe. And as I was mm. writing it, that was like in the back of my mind, I was like, knee body would like sound killing on this. And so the fact that that's what we ended up playing, because they were like, we just want to do a song of yours. And so I played them like two or three different ones and they chose that one. Oh yeah. And yeah, it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that, that's the sound that went through my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. Did you and it was all in the studio and all in the studio? Um, I feel like both of them we'd knocked them out in a couple takes. Actually, by fire was a little harder. Um, I'm still just like Nate Wood is playing drums and bass on that recording. <laughs> like
0: I, when I saw him starting to do that, I was like, "Come on, man!" Are you I'm kidding just me? like
1: when I the first yeah the first time I saw him was at uh, was at New Blue in Lower East Side, and I closed my eyes. And I was like, "This sounds like a full killing band. Like, yeah. if this was four people, I would go see this band because the music is great." And <laughs> it's sure. literally one person. That's crazy, man. What,
0: but he, what is he doing? Playing drums, and doing the hammer ons and stuff. He's like playing bass with yeah. one hand and playing bass with one hand, playing drums with one hand. That is bananas. And they're doing it live, huh? Yeah. Because it would be, it would be easy to construct something like. I mean, it wouldn't be easy, but. You could you could see them constructing something like that from the ground up, or doing it like a rock record where you do each individual part or whatever. Yeah, but he especially literally if you're playing bass and drums at the same time. <sighs> I'm saying I'm
1: just like I don't know I don't know how like I don't get it. <laughs> all my CPU is maxed out and I sing one note at a time. Like I'm like how yeah. do
0: you do all that? Yeah, that's how I feel playing trumpet, man. I'm like <laughs> stuff is hard enough on its own. Yeah. Uh, So you've got a couple you've got a couple of singles out and you've got a bunch of you've got a bunch of material on various social medias and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Do you have an you don't have an album out under your own name, do you? I don't
1: have an album out. I have an album recorded. Okay. Um, so it's going to be out next year. I can't like say too much about it just yet because some things are sort of in flux in terms of like when and how, etc. But the album's called Bones and it's all my original music. Um and yeah, it's featuring Andrew Friedman on keys, Robin Beatos on drums, Nick Campbell on bass, and uh, obviously I'm singing. And I have my parents on one song, and it's oh, like nice. a nice big family affair.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And do you get? Do you still get to play with them and everything? I mean, obviously you could bring them into that, but do you? Do you get when you go back to Los Angeles? Do you get, get to play gigs together and stuff like that?
1: With with mom and dad? Yeah. Uh, from time to time, uh, unfortunately, it's been less in recent years just because, like, I've been doing more of my own thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my dad and I both played the Playboy Jazz Festival last year, which was cool, like, in different bands, which was, oh, that's like, pretty really, good. really awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, but I I, we, I talk music with them literally every day. That's amazing. So, it's amazing to have
0: that connection. Now, do you think that... What do you think about albums in our in our contemporary world of yeah of singles and instant gratification and the internet and
1: and 0 0001 cent per stream <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> people don't believe it when i tell them what the, like <laughs> how much you make on streams man Oof. they're like wait a minute
1: for real brutal yeah yeah so like what do i think the place of an album is in our society yeah today? you still
0: like albums you listen to them do you want to make them is it what's the what's their place in society i mean days? i
1: definitely do um i mean like Understanding and recognizing the bias of, like, being a musician whose, like, life it is to, like, listen to and create music. Like, I definitely always appreciate listening to an album from top to bottom. Um, I think that because of our, you know, our social media situation and because of, like, capitalism, um, blah, 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 um, where our collective attention span is just absolute garbage at this point. So I don't think that the majority of people are going to spend time listening to an album top to bottom. I know that people have the capacity to, and like if we allowed for more mindfulness in our society that, you know, people would be down to, but you know, in the app, in the, in the absence of any reason why, like people are going to do what they're told to do. Uh, Or I should say in the absence of any reason why not to, people are going to do what they're told to do. So if people are fed like singles, like that are under two minutes, that have like a particular musical bend and that's all they're fed like of course that's what they're going to think that it should be and you can't really blame them like the same way i'm sure like there's plenty of things that i take as given that i don't think about like i don't think about where my clothes are made but i'm sure that there's like a lot of really terrible things that go into how i came to wear most of the things i wear so it's like the those same sorts of structures in place for that are what's in place for music
0: for most people i would say sure I think about that with movies too, because there's gotta be a there's a lot of like independent movie buffs out there that are like, who's watching mainstream movies nowadays? You know, but mm. I'm not not being in that world. I don't you know, I don't really know that, you know, that world. So right. I'm with you, it's hard to blame. I don't know what our role is though in terms of like do we then do we then try to pull people into this world of like listening to a whole album or really diving into the minutia of a piece of music in the same right. way that we have? Do we right. try to promote that culture or do you just You say, like, if you can't beat them, join them, you know? If you
1: can't beat them, join them, yeah. I'm kind of of the mind that, like, the... I kind of believe that we should try to strive for whatever culture we think is, like, healthiest overall. That's not to say that it's going to work. That's not not to say that people are going to be down. Um, But I think it depends on, like, if our goal is for people to have a healthier relationship with music with whatever kind of music they want to listen to uh then there's a couple things that they should do and i actually think that this time period allows us the reflection and um what's the word i'm looking for innovation of like creating new ways to listen to music like creating a playlist and sharing it with your friends or like having like a 24-hour thing that you do where all it is is just like music that you enjoy and sending it out to people like If you don't have, like, a huge, enormous fan base, it might not reach more than 10, 20, 30 people. But, like, the 10, 20, 30 people that it does reach are going to be touched by that, and they may, in turn, do a similar thing for themselves. And I think that ideas can always propagate. But now, if we're talking about from the standpoint of, like, making money, that's obviously going to be different. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it depends on what we're sort of aiming at.
0: That's a fair point, yeah. And you have to distinguish between those two things. And I know that I've seen countless shows in, you know, basements in Alston or in, like, you know, the the uh, the Lillipad or the Outpost yeah. in Cambridge or yep. at some art gallery in New York or whatever where there's, you know, four people in the band and, like, six people in the audience. Yep. And the band is really playing and it's amazing musicians. And I've taken something deep out of those performances, maybe mm-hmm. more so than, probably more so than a lot of the concerts that I've seen with, you know hundreds of thousands of people there. Yeah, yeah. And if those people didn't want to commit to making that music and to really caring about it, I wouldn't have gotten that out of it. Yeah. But it's a very, that's a completely 100% different thing than those guys saying like, all right, how am I going to get a fan, how am I going to make like a huge fan base and try to right. sell a ton of records or whatever?
1: Right. I guess at that point, it just comes down to like, how are we defining worth? Like, how are we defining, uh, like, yeah, I mean, how are we defining worth? Is it in terms of like, financial worth, because, like, sometimes that doesn't need to come with the sacrifice of things, but sometimes it absolutely does, and I feel like, I don't know, it c- It can feel kind of bleak. Uh, sure. But I, I, I honestly believe that there's room for all this stuff. I just think it's a matter of, like, execution. Sure.
0: In, w- 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 in what regard? Like, how do you approach that?
1: Like... I don't know the the fact that there is an avant-garde scene in almost every art form that exists like there is an avant-garde scene and like like i so i am absolutely not uh like an expert on performance art at all like zero percent i've seen a couple things throughout the years that have just absolutely blown me away and like the fact that every small thing that i've seen like that or i should say everything like that that i've seen there's always been like people there like people always have the capacity to appreciate and people always have the capacity to like get into something new i think the thing that gets in the way is like like needing to have a certain amount of something for your livelihood and that the stress of that i think really can can muddy the water sure but i th- well, so what i'm what i'm trying to say is I think it's possible, there's always going to be a version that nets you uh, some amount of financial something without sacrificing everything of the artistic something. I think that you can have some of both. I don't think that you can always have all of both, but I think that you can always have some of both.
0: Yeah. I think Herbie figured it out. Herbie's the one. Herbie yeah. and Wayne Shorter <laughs> yeah. might be the two guys who are alive that actually figured that balance. Yeah, they, they absolutely. They got both of them. Yeah, but- Yeah, that's the plague. Everybody comes out of music school thinking that it's going to be, like, 1956 and they're going to go out and play gigs and do, you know, two weeks at the five spot and make their rent. And then you get into the, you know, real music world and it's like, I don't know any, I mean, I don't know, most of the, almost everybody I run into is got some wide combination of different things, whether they're playing weddings or teaching or whatever, you have to find a way to make that balance work. Or if you're a dentist and you just play clarinet on the weekends or I whatever mean, your hey, vibe is, you know?
1: I and mean, Ginga, Ginga, the incredible Brazilian guitarist, has been a dentist for, like, like decades, and he's, like, still at
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, man. Yeah. To be able to pull that off. I have a lot of respect for those people who can, who can make that happen, you know? Totally. So last I talked to you, I think before this, uh, you were about to go on tour in was it may or april or something like that
1: oh yeah with jacob okay what, what was about? that
0: what was that so i think that's right
1: yeah so i was supposed to be going on tour with jacob collier uh from uh, march to june march through june so technically i would have just finished a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um but what with obviously with covid and all that stuff everything got super canceled <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but that never happened uh which is which is, a, which is a huge bummer um
0: is it is it rescheduled or do they just cancel it outright
1: not as of yet i mean like we don't know what's gonna happen so. we everything is still in flux so i think it makes less sense to reschedule and then recancel and then re so i think we're sort of waiting for stuff to calm down mm-hmm. um but it'll happen it's for it's sure definitely you know It'll happen. Yeah,
0: and we're all in this. We're all in a sea of uncertainty, waiting to see what happens through all of this. That is real. Comes back. That is so, so real. So this is going to be impossible. But what's the next thing on your plate besides releasing the album, or is it just releasing the album? Like, what do what do you <laughs> see as your as your artistic future here? What's your next? Uh, yeah, approach?
1: I mean, honestly, the the big one is definitely putting out the album because it's my first album, but. Uh, it's been it's been burning a hole in my computer for a while now, so I'm already starting to feel bubblings of number two that mm-hmm. sounded so funny, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, maybe I am feeling bubblings uh, of number hey, two I don't know hey um sure. so so there's that um I've been doing a lot of uh vocal arranging these days, um, okay and background arranging, and so i'm i uh am thinking about this is like still a very sort of this in the primordial phases of the idea, but releasing some sort of solo project that's just all vocals, or mm-hmm. um, all like self made, self produced stuff. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's so hard. Everything is so murky right now. It's hard to it's hard to know, and that's something that this situation has taught me. It's like I never realized how much of my um, uh, my compass was guided by what I have to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now it's... This whole situation has been a really... It's been a reckoning because I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I actually need to learn how to find meaning outside of things that are already set in stone, like being able to plan and being able to, like, create out of nothing.
0: Right. But it makes it impossible because in some... I mean, not impossible, but it makes it especially difficult because if we knew it was up in January, if we said, oh, gigs start January 1st, 2021... Then you can start booking gigs or planning for the thing, but not knowing what's going to happen is like, what are we doing? The limbo now? is the kicker. It's the kicker, man. I think it's yeah. been the hardest part about this whole thing. Like. Mm-hmm we don't the uncertainty has been tricky but not Mm -hmm. to make it all about coronavirus here we're still making it what's coronavirus what is that (laughs) you'll look back on this people are going to listen to it later they're gonna be like what what are they talking about what was that
1: people just like send you pictures of themselves crying
0: (laughs) (laughs) jog their memory i remember those days man why'd you have to bring me back to that uh, but if there's one thing I think we'll take from all of this, and it sounds like you've got a handle on it in the first place, is just the ability to use technology and to try to figure out different ways of approaching the music. Like, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing wrong with trying to find ways to adapt in any number of ways. Like, maybe going forward, every gig we play also has a live stream component and people from around the world can check it out. Or, yeah.
1: I mean, we all, we're going to all have this, this skill set now that will only be a positive.
0: And especially I think in I think in jazz world in particular we've had to be kind of dragged kicking and screaming into the yeah. 21st century. <laughs> We're still making a living playing like I'm you know I blow air through a brass tube for a living. You know what I sure. mean? Like I got a horn from 1945 like I'm you know it's not our wheelhouse to be dealing with all the technological stuff but it's good for us to try to figure it out. Absolutely. I
1: mean it's the
0: we have to, we can't not rise to the occasion cuz like right. we we like we must. Yeah. Exactly, or we have to stop, and that's not that's Ray. not an option right yeah well we're always we're always in the constant flow here, we're always kind of making our own paths but if you if you got anybody if there's anybody listening to this who's coming up wants to be a professional vocalist mm-hmm. or come to New York or go to Los Angeles and sing, do you have any advice for him, what have you learned in your in your on your path here
1: yeah, um honestly, the big ones are just how you conduct yourself um. Be nice, Um, be open to criticism, Uh, be willing to uh, be willing to learn, but also be willing to stand up for something when when something isn't right, because like people do take advantage of people. Uh, Be aware of your ego triggers. That's a huge one. And try to become aware of other people's ego triggers, because that will save your life.
0: Now that sounds like um, a big one. So what is an ego trigger?
1: Yeah. So essentially, like, uh, uh, I can't come up with, like, a super great example. So, for example, like, uh, there are certain people, myself included, over the years, I've tried to get better at this. But, like, if someone tries to give them advice, they get defensive, right? Um, that's an ego trigger. It's, it's an example of, like, when your ego flares up in a situation that it doesn't need to, that it doesn't serve you to. Um. Mm-hmm. And so becoming aware of that and realizing, oh, crap, okay, I didn't need to react that way. I can react better next time. So I'll make a note of that. And then next time I feel this way, I'll just, like, calm down for a bit and then move forward. And then also being aware of, uh, I find that especially as, like, a younger person uh, existing in uh, the jazz and jazz-adjacent worlds, uh, because there's such a tradition, there's a lot of elder musicians out there. Many of whom are like fantastic and beautiful and loving. Many of whom are jaded and negative and toxic. So like, they ha- there I've experienced a lot of things of like uh, them requiring every young musician to like treat them a certain way or talk to them a certain way or doing this when really it's like they're just being an unfriendly person and they have issues with how xyz they are be it like old or not as good at whatever and 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 i never put that on people that's that's just their own internal narrative and so like becoming aware of those sorts of things just to sort of save yourself the pain of having to deal with like a person's internal bullshit so that's one uh and then in terms of like personal growth i would say always be listening, always be shedding, um, always be, if you have the resources to go see live music, when live music exists again, uh, go do it. And you gotta pay attention to your bank account, but, like, sometimes someone comes through town that, like, you just, like, literally have, like, you can't not go,
0: you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think that's what, I mean, for me, that's certainly a a big element of what pulled me to New York is it, or, or, you know, it could be anywhere, it could be any city, but... That that's is going out and seeing, you know, hearing new music and getting the opportunity to hear people play. Like that's, yeah. I've always thought that listening is more important in many respects than you know. well, let's say it's as important, maybe more important than practicing or like. I or mean, I, like would, I would I would agree important.
1: with that totally. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, what's your uh, What's your favorite film in the Star Wars franchise? <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's such a good
1: question. <laughs> Honestly, probably Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was kind of like a late comer to Star Wars. Like I had seen them like, if they were on growing up, but I had never really like sat down and watched them. And a couple years ago, some friends of mine and I did one where we watched them in like story chronological order. So we started with like one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, which like, I don't hate on one, two, and three. A lot of people do. And sure. I get it. I mm-hmm. get it. But I I like it because it gets you more into like
0: Anakin Vader vibes. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can see it. I'm
1: going to stop talking about it now because I could talk about
0: it for a long time. <coughs> <laughs> so for for people listening, he's wearing a Star Wars shirt. I had to ask him before the end. Well, I think that that I think that I think with that we've covered everything. I think everything we've made it through. Yeah. I think we've made it through more or less everything. Uh, well, Michael, thanks for thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for yeah, letting Bobby, us inside your me. brain it's a
1: pleasure. for a little while.
0: Yeah, always happy to hear the the process, different processes of creation and how you take the human voice and stretch it to its uh, to its potential. You know? Hey, I'm trying slash sometimes you feel like a crazy person who's
1: making bird sounds to his wall. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. That's
0: what it's all about. <laughs> man. That's it. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it, gang? Big thanks to Michael Mayo for coming on the show to talk about his musical world. Uh, I forgot to mention that conversation took place back in mid-July. That was the last conversation uh, we recorded, put it in the can before we took a little break, so uh, we wanted to start off strong. Um, We'll be doing it again every week. We've got a couple of shows lined up. We're going to be talking to Javier Nero about his new album, Freedom. We're also going to be speaking with the great cornetist Stephen Haynes coming up about his uh, apprenticeship with uh, Bill Dixon and his experience in the world of his own creation. <laughs> so that was a really interesting sort of philosophical conversation. So we got a bunch of them lined up. We got a bunch of them in the can, gang. We're going to be putting out new shows every week. So if you'd like to support the show, uh, first of all, you can find us on uh, SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash jaztopia podcast. You can also find us on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, uh, Switch... What is it? What are those? What are those? They're, we're on all the things. We're on all the things. Uh, I'm working on putting up a YouTube thing, so keep an eye out for that. And if you'd like to donate a little of your hard-earned cash to the program, you can find us on patreon.com slash jazztopia And that's a real big help. Uh, it'd be... You know, there's always a lot that goes into putting one of these things together, and it'd be great to get your support. And if you just would like to say that you liked the program that may be the best way to do it. All right, well, thanks to everybody for tuning in today. I uh, hope everybody's doing well and we will see you again next week for another episode of Jazz Topia. All right, see you.